Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to uh, welcome back to Ausbiz live from our Barangaroo studios. Welcome to the call. <coughs> Excuse me, ten stocks picked by you. I put them to two experts, all in and out. Wednesday, the fifteenth of June, and uh, let's get stuck straight into it. Our two experts today: Henry Jennings from Marcus today, our favourite Queenslander Andrew Willant from DP Wealth Advisory. Good morning to you both. Willard is just limbering up for the hour. Um, how, Andrew, how are, how are all the clients reacting to uh, uh, the shock and awe of the share market at the moment? Yeah, Koshi, dare I say it, being relaxed about it. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense or anything like that. I think that they're a bit uh, battle-weary, Koshi, I think is probably the best way of describing oh. it. Um, but... As we were just discussing before, I think the circuit breaker here is we sort of need that final capitulation moment. We need that final throw their hands in the air and it's all too hard. And, and I'm talking about the market in general. And frankly, yesterday was its opportunity, but it didn't take it, you know, oh. to finish actually off its lows. Perversely, it was not a good sign. <laughs> so so you, you want to crash and finish on its lows? A crash, I think, is a little emotive. I mean, I'll leave that to the financial media to use that type of term. But in, in the context of the uh, <laughs> in, in, in the context, sorry, and it's only two minutes in, I've already upset Koshi. No, I would. Uh, we, we definitely need just that final oh bother capitulation. It uh, it just falls in a heap. Everyone's sort of you know, brushing the dust off themselves. From my point of view, I want to be sort of, you know, pressing that buy button and doing this, going, I hope this is the right thing. So because, we're not there yet. Uh, we're not there yet. Okay. Um, Henry, what do you reckon? Um, I've got to say I'm with Andrew on this one, which is unusual, I guess, for us. And uh, yesterday was a very relaxed day for a 300-odd point fall. It kind of fell there straight away and then just sat there all day a bit stunned and then rallied into the close as we saw US futures rally. So we didn't really get that kitchen sink moment or throwing in the dishwasher, the uh, the draining board, the plug, the taps, the whole bit. It was kind of, well, relatively relaxed, uh, dare I say it. The losses were pretty horrendous across the board in some stocks, especially in technology stocks. And we have seen the banking sector come back in a big heap in the last couple of weeks. But it, certainly, uh, you know, I think investors hadn't thrown in the towel um, which is the sign that maybe we have reached the bottom. So maybe we have got a little bit more of a bottom to go. Interestingly, though, today, I guess, is that we saw the uh, the RBA chief Phil Lowe on the 7.30 report last night uh, talking about interest rates and, of course, talking about inflation. And this inflation we have is a strange beast because it's really not something I'm sure... I'm not sure you can cure it with, uh, with interest rate rises because no. the price of lettuces, the price of petrol, the price of your energy on the eastern seaboard is not going to be affected 
by putting up interest rates. That is that is the totally problem. Agree. This is this is just the function of um, you know this is the function of what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening around the mm. world. This is not a demand-led inflationary spiral. This is a, a supply problem and a shortage of oil problem uh, that is causing this inflation yeah. in the system. So. I don't know whether you can cure that by uh, by whacking people over the head, especially, yeah. you know, Phil, Phil Lowe talked not long ago about how rates wouldn't rise oh, till yeah. 2024 and all these people have gone out and borrowed up to the hilt on their mortgages, what? bought big houses and, and yeah. big debt, and now he's going to raise would rates we trust on them. Him? Why, we, well, why would we trust a word he said when at Christmas yeah. he was telling everyone, oh, keep borrowing, uh, rates won't rise until 2024? Yeah, when, when the rest of the world was starting to put out rates, he was going, oh, no, it's different. Yeah, no, I had an electrician in the office this morning who was trying to fix the beeping alarm that I have in my ceiling, which is driving me nuts, and uh, he couldn't find it, and nor can I. But what he did, he was saying exactly the same thing, and this is just an electrician. Yeah. I think he should be on the RBA board. He's oh, got no. certainly more clue. Uh, you know, we've been told by governments to go out and spend, stimulate. New South Wales government gave us vouchers, for God's sake, to go and spend in hotels. And where's the inflation? It's in hotels and petrol and transport and travel and food. And all these things are energy related. This is this yeah. is really not going to be See, cured if by it interest was, rates. If it was cooling the economy because we were going berserk, that would be yeah. one thing causing inflation. But when inflation is being set by trade wars in, yep. uh, and, and China cutting, uh, shutting down factories because of COVID, uh, putting up interest rates isn't going to solve that and no. take money out of our pocket. And, and no, dare I say, sorry, Henry, dare I say, no. you know, if we fast forward 12, 18 months, you know, we've gone and bashed up the economy. We finally get the supply response because, as we all yeah. agree, this is a supply problem. We're actually going to be in an even bigger hole because we've bashed the economy. We've got yeah. excess supply. We're potentially looking at it, dare I say it, a deflation issue. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. In, in Formula One at the moment, they call it porpoising when the car goes up and down in the straights. <laughs> Ask Lewis Hamilton about that if you ever get the chance, Costi. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure yeah. you will one day. But it's called porpoising because of the the effect of the uh, the suction on the track. This is what we could be facing here in the economy. We could have this porpoising. We could see the RBA going hard now and then easing off at yeah. Christmas and then go. It's, you know, the, the problem more. is that interest rates are such a blunt force instrument to cure a problem which is not really of our making. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Hey. Um... Let's just uh, highlight the five stocks we're going to look at this half hour. JB Hi-Fi, Suncorp, Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, the BetaShares Crypto Innovators EDF, if you dare, uh, and <coughs> Endeavour Group. But stock of the day, I thought, considering we've got the uh, ETF whisperer on board today, um, I thought we'd do a little ETF focus for stock of the day on shorting the market. Yesterday, we saw the biggest intraday drop in more than two years. So let's check in on where the local index is sitting at the moment. And it's still, um, it's, it's up from the, the open, but um, uh, still down on the day. But um, uh, Andrew Whelan, a lot of people have been saying Gary Glover has been uh, in the SNAS, is it? Where you can short the NASDAQ um, and made a heap of money. 
is this uh, an easier way than doing an options play to build a bit of a safety net under your portfolio and what's available? Yeah, Koshi, lots to unpack with that question. Um, so I guess the first thing is all the ETFs that we've been discussing over the three years that you've been lucky enough, or we've been lucky enough to be talking about them here on the call, have been physically backed. So even when we right. talk about crypto in a minute and all the excitement that brings to, uh, to those holders, there's still something tangible, there's still something physical behind it. In this case, the shorting ones, there's not. We're actually dealing with derivatives, and in most cases, we're dealing with futures. And so that, to me, is an immediate amber, if not red light, because uh, that's certainly uh, something in, in my world. You know, I like something physically back. Now, we can go back to Henry's days on the, the floor of the Australian Stock Exchange, and prior to that, his work in the LSE. You know, like, for people who are trained and specialists, that might be something for their world. But, you know, for the average retail investor, I don't think it's necessarily for them. So that's my bias I'm bringing to this conversation. In the context of the tools available, there's a, there's a few of them out there. There's BEAR, B-E-A-R. Um, so it sort of has a one-for-one, or one, the purpose is to have a one-for-one one inverse relationship to the market. So in theory, if the market is going down 1%, then BEAR should go up 1%. Again, it's using futures. Um, another beta shares product is BBOZ, and I know Henry has that in his um, portfolio that he has... Um, on his website, and that from memory is between two to 2.75 times in theory. And, uh, you know, sometimes the theory doesn't work out because there's a mismatch in the timing. And then, as you just spoke about, um, ETF securities coming to the party both have a long NASDAQ, L-N-A-S, and a short NASDAQ, the SNAVs. Sounds like one of the characters from this uh, uh, the Housewives, doesn't it? Anyway, SNAZ. Um, has been certainly uh, flavour of the month. And in fact, it's got about double the funds under management relative to long, NAS, uh, long NASDAQ. So um, certainly they're the four that immediately come to mind. I'm sure there's others, but they're probably the four right. more popular right. ones out there. But to your point, Koshi, around are they the ones to be using... I guess this sort of comes back to the whole reason why I recommend ETFs, uh, when I recommend ETFs to clients, it's simply around the fact that, with due respect, the three of us don't know where markets are going. We, we, we might have an expectation, we yep. might have a hope, yep. but at the end of the day, we don't know. And if we get it wrong and we're using something that's geared or we're using derivatives or a bit of both, then we are potentially setting ourselves up for pain. And I'm personally not into pain. Whereas if we are sort of going, well, markets will do what markets will do and I can determine the um, return by having a spread of assets, you know, Australian shares, international shares, property infrastructure, et cetera, that's how I'm going to minimise my risk. It's not by using a derivative. It's not by using gearing. Because these things are quite expensive as well, as they have to be because there's lots of moving parts under the hood. You know, like I think it's uh, bears about a 1.3% management fee. If we compare that to, say, a very simple ASX ordinary uh, ETF like STW, which is 12 basis points. So you pay, right. you're basically right. paying 10 times the cost. So, Koshi, all really interesting stuff. Trading, be, yeah. that's fine, me personally. Uh, Henry? Uh, well, I would disagree completely with what Andrew has said, I must admit. Um, I think these, uh, you know, if you're going into battle, you need every tool that you can. You need every weapon 
in your quiver. You need as many swords by your side as you possibly can. And these things are a valid way of hedging market risk, albeit they, some of them are geared, some of them are not geared. And they do what they say on the tin uh, to some extent, uh, to a large extent. Obviously, there are some, uh, some limitations. And if you're worried about the management expense of these things, I think you're missing the point. Uh, these are sometimes short-term trading instruments that give you protection. Now, you can go to cash. That's fine. If you've got a big portfolio, you can go to cash. You can sell everything. But as one gentleman told me last night at the AIA, the problem is you go to cash, you've got all those tax problems. And you have to employ a financial planner and an accountant to sort all that out, plus the brokerage. This is These things are a simple and easy way and very well-established way of hedging your position on a short-term basis in your portfolio. And certainly, you know, I've held BBOZ as an insurance policy for some time. And yesterday, I actually sold out of some uh, when the market was down 350 because I thought we might get a little bit of a bounce. We did, but not sufficient. But certainly, you know, if, if you've got a view and you're worried about things and you can't sleep at night, then having an insurance policy is a great way to go. You, you, when you buy a house, you don't go, well, you know what, I don't care if it floods or there's a fire. I don't care. I'm quite happy to sit there and accept that because if I buy some insurance, it's leveraged or it's got some sort of futures derivative exposure. That That's nonsense. These, these things are pretty well established. They're big. They're known. They work. And they are great short-term ways to hedge a portfolio. And you're using them now. Um, well, if... if I'm an, old, uh, I'm an old derivatives trader. I'm an old options trader from many years ago. If I could, I'd use uh, puts instead, but we're not licensed to do that. And so that gets a bit complicated. But BBOZ or BEAR is really simple. You, you, you know, it does what it says. If the market goes down, yep. uh, goes up 1%, these things go down. You know, they okay. go the opposite way. So, you know, it's, it's not difficult stuff. Okay. All right. Yes, Andrew? Yes, Whelan at the front. Um, all, all I was going to say is I think that conversation perfectly illustrates the, the two different ways that Henry and I look at stuff. Henry's active, I'm passive. And so it depends on which way you're looking at it. And I think everything everything Henry just said has got lots of merit. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, Kissed and made up. That's the type of bloke oh, that you are. There's a check um, in the post. All right. Let's get into the stocks that uh, you've wanted us to uh, have a look at. Um, Nina Henry wants a view on uh, JB Hi-Fi, the uh, the big retailer. What what can you say? I mean, Nina, the, the problem with JB Hi-Fi is not of its own making. The problem is, and we've discussed this at the beginning of the program, is the RBA is going to whack up interest rates. Uh, they're going to kill the housing market if it hasn't already been killed. It's slowing down dramatically. And, of course, someone like JB Hi-Fi is massively exposed to discretionary spending. These guys are probably the best in breed in terms of their retail operation. But some of it is discretionary. The good guys, of course, is very much geared towards the housing cycle. And they've taken a, a bit of a tumble down from 56 bucks to 40 bucks. Uh, on the back of all these inflationary fears and uh, interest rate fears. Uh, to be honest, you know, this is a quality company and things will turn. But, you know, we've had a, uh, a government that said go out and spend and go out and stimulate and go and buy stuff. And now we've got uh, RBA that says, no, you can't buy stuff because the lettuce is $11. Um, at some stage, these things will turn. If I was holding them, I would continue to hold them. That's not to say there won't be a little bit more drift in them. And it is very much exposed mm. to the economy. If we see the economy fall in a heap, uh, and we talk ourselves into that heap, then we will see lower prices for JB Hi-Fi. It's just, 
you know, it, it's a consequence yeah. of, uh, of of what's happening globally and, and locally as well. So it's, yeah. it's for me, it's a hold. Um, you know, it's yeah. fallen a long way, though, so I wouldn't be selling it, that's for sure. Andrew, what do you think? Because all of the retailers have been uh, battered um, on exactly the thinking that, that Henry has put in there. But then all their trading updates are really good. Uh, like Universal Store this morning was a really good um, trading update. I think Premier the other day had a good one, but it keeps falling. Yeah, and we've got to remember there's, what, 240-odd billion dollars worth of savings that are sloshing about in the economy, you know, people's job keeper money, whatever the case may be, around 21 months' worth of income, basically, is... Uh, in people's bank accounts on average. And I know that's a nonsense because there's plenty of people that have got no money in the bank and then there's lots of others got too much money in the bank. But on average, there's lots of money sloshing about. But that chart that you just had up before, it just looks dreadful. Um, And it's probably going to keep going. Despite the fact, to your point, Koshi, earnings are holding up. It's trading, JB Hi-Fi is trading on a PE of nine relative to the market, which is 17 times. So really what the market is trying to tell us is that they're worried about the earnings, that, you know, we've spoke before about the average New South Wales mortgage is $800,000. So every 1% rise in interest rates is going to take another $8,000 out of the system. Uh, That won't be spent at JB Hi-Fi or Universal Stores. It will be going to the bank. So uh, I think it's a quality business. I like it. But, you know, from my point of view, $30 is probably the mark. If you look at the chart, $30 is probably where we're at. But every every retailer's chart is like that. And I couldn't help but thinking the other day, is is this a time to nibble away at a little portfolio of five (laughs) great real... It's like Accent Group. Terrible chart. But going all right. It just seems ridiculous at the moment. Anyhow. The nibble. Yeah, yeah, listening to. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Tony wants a view, Andrew, on Suncorp. Tony says, I own the four major banks and also Bank of Queensland and Suncorp. Apart from CBA, the performance over the last five years hasn't been good. Looking ahead, do you think any of these will outperform the index or would I be, be better off just selling them all uh, and investing um, in the index itself? Tony, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, look, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're right, the banks have been pretty ordinary. But if we look at the index and we'll use VAS, which is the example that Tony gave us, VAS invests across the top 300. So it's not really the true index. Something right. like IOZ, right. STW, A200 is the true index. But VAS is close enough for this example. VAS is 28% banks. So if you're worried about the banks... 28% of VAS and around 27% of STWIs, et cetera, is also banks. So that's always an inherent risk in investing in the index that our um, index is heavy in financials and banks in particular. Um, in theory, the bank should actually be doing pretty well in this environment. In theory, the net interest margin should be rising. But what everyone is acutely concerned about is the rate of increase. The RBA, as we spoke about right at the beginning of the show, have finally caught up and could be belting us with another half a percent next month and another half a percent. And so suddenly people start going bad. And as a consequence, the provisions for bad and doubtful debt start going up and therefore the dividends will come under pressure as will their earnings as well. So from my point of view, um, 
I think, you know, the quality banks in my world would be NAB and CBA. Uh, I think NAB is probably my standout buy if I was to buy a bank. And it's probably closely followed by CBA. I'd be a bit concerned about ANZ and Westpac given their exposure to, to residential and potentially people coming off the boil. But to the Suncorp question, I just don't like insurance. Maybe that was uh, telling with when I was talking before about uh, insurance. Um, I just don't think insurance companies are pricing that risk appropriately. Insurance companies don't make money through insurance. They actually make it investment returns, and we're all agreeing investment returns are pretty tough at the moment. Uh, I think Suncorp is probably going to have a bit more pain. They really need to figure out this bank assurance model. Are they an insurance company? Are they a bank? Um, they've had a minus 1% total return per annum over the last five years relative yeah. to the market, which has yeah, gone up okay. about 7% okay. per annum. So I'm I'm out on Suncorp, but certainly the index, Tony, could could think of a lot worse places to be. Okay. Henry? Um, well, this, this, Tony, I'm afraid you haven't really got the diversification memo, have you, if you own pretty much every single bank in Australia? Um, and as Andrew rightly points out, you pretty much own the index with the exception of BHP. If you put BHP in there, you're probably up to around 50% of the index. So it's going to be hard for you to beat the index when you actually are the index. As far as Suncorp goes, you know, as Andrew points out, it's a confusing kind of business. It's, it's a bank and it's an insurance company. Insurance companies should do well out of that uh, rising interest rate environment. And banks, in theory, should do well with the net interest margin. Of course, that's if they don't put deposit rates up when all that happens is that net interest margin stays pretty much the same to a certain extent. And they also have the problem with bad debts. Now, every bank out there, they tell us they have stress tested their new mortgages and they have always adopted a, um, a policy of applying you know, a 2 or 3% buffer so that uh, even if rates rise, we're not going to see delinquencies and bad debts. Now, um, that's all very well to be told that, but we're going to find out, I guess, in the next few months whether that's actually true. So for me, you know, Suncorp is trying to bounce, as are the banks generally, and I think there's probably a little bit more bounce in them. But um, it's going to be a bit of a sideways shuffle, I think, for this one. The yield obviously is going to hold it up to an extent, but it is a confusing business model. And I think until that is sorted, either it's an insurance company or a bank, and it's exposure to housing and it's exposure to uh, high competition from the big four, I think it's going to struggle a bit. I'd rather go, as Andrew says, to be honest, I'd rather go with the strength CBA. Uh, Ross McEwen's done a great job with NAB, but uh, you know, you, you'd hmm. be happy to go with CBA for a variety of reasons. They're still head and shoulders, I think, above the others in terms of their technology, in terms of the way they market themselves and the way Matt Common has really turned uh, CBA around since the Royal Commission in terms of uh, their PR. So, okay. yeah, CBA for me, not Suncorp. All right. Um, Sean Henry wants a view on Fisher and Paykel Healthcare. Uh, Sean says, I watched the last meeting of the investment committee, which Henry is on, was interested in Henry's take on ResMed, given his thoughts on that. Um, I'm interested in his longer term view of Fisher and Paykel. I'm happy for my estate to deal with this in a very long time. Oh, gee. Um, Jeez, sure, no, that's, that's a, a downer. Bit of a dampener on it, doesn't it? He's Debbie Downer, isn't he? Yes, exactly. Happy, happy for his estate. Well, obviously, he doesn't care where the price is, clearly. No. If, if <laughs> thinking about his estate... The kids can handle that. The kids can handle that capital loss. Um, I have to say, I, I'm not a massive fan of Fisher & Paykel. 
Um, you know, ResMed has the, uh, you know, the, the supremacy, I guess, if you like, in terms of their reputation for uh, sleep apnea machines, CPAP machines, and they do it very well. But there's, you know, there's massive competition in this space. Uh, both of these guys got a bit of a, um, a tailwind from uh, Philips having some problems with the foam degrading in their machines. And uh, that really gave ResMed a bit of a kick higher, but that seems to have dissipated. At the end of the day, if you look at uh, buying one of these machines, they're all the same price. Mm. Whether it's a Fisher & Paykel, a ResMed one, or a Philips one, or whatever, they're all pretty much the same price. There's new ones coming along as well, so there is competition. These guys also do uh, hospital supplies and those sorts of things, and respirators and that sort of stuff. And they did kind of well through COVID. But it's just, yeah, it's going to be tough out there. If we are going to see a recession and people are going to be asked to pony up 1500 bucks for a CPAP machine and another this or that and the other for the mask, et cetera, I can't really get excited about Fisher & Paykel. I can't get excited about yeah. ResMed either. At the end of the day, all it does is blow air up your nose. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Better up your nose than anyhow. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, Andrew, what do you think of Fisher & Paykel? Thank you, Dr. Jennings, for that uh, in-depth <laughs> medical prognosis. Um, I, uh, I'm equally uh, equally cool on it. Um, in particular, we had that earnings update in May, and they spoke about issues with supply chains, yep. uh, which again, you know, without being Captain Obvious, is impacting everybody. But uh, these guys and girls, in particular, they actually um, sell across 120 different countries, which for an Australian or in this case New Zealand company is an amazing outcome but you know when your little islands at the other end of the world and you're trying to get everything everywhere obviously so spending money on that Mexican plant it's taking time costs etc so uh, and the chart as you said looks pretty ordinary they had a number of years where their earnings was pretty strong but uh, the wheels have uh, well and truly sort of fallen off there since uh, the beginning of the year so from my point of view it uh, is a hold okay a hold on that. All right, uh, ETF whisperer. Uh, Lena wants a view on BetaShares crypto. <laughs> uh, innovators ETF. The uh, mention of the word crypto puts a wind up everyone, does that? Um, I paid $11.30 a share when they were first listed. It's now worth $2.87 as of June 14. Should I sell or wait? Lena, Lena, Lena. Um, look, not not good. Uh, the first thing I'd point out is if you have a look at Bitcoin and what Bitcoin has done since. So this product, list, the crypt product listed, I think it was either the 1st or the 2nd of November 2021. And at that stage, the uh, Bitcoin, and I know it's not just Bitcoin, but for the sake of the argument, Bitcoin was about $85,000 Australian then. So today it's about... $25,000 Australian. So, you know, round numbers, Bitcoin's down about 70% over that period of time. So one of the main reason this isn't working is because the underlying crypto market has also imploded. So, you know, the idea that crypto was going to be a hedge, you know, during market uncertainty, I think we all agree that that has proved yeah. to be a nonsense. Um, if you then have a look at sort of the underlying holdings within this ETF, and so as an example, just last night when I was diligently doing my Koshi homework, as I, as I describe it at home, um, it's, you know, MicroStrategy is their second biggest holding, I think at 9.9%. 9 
and MicroStrategy, the rumour, the speculation is that they may be forced to start selling Bitcoin, which they hold as an asset, if they get a margin call. That's not helpful. We had Coinbase come out overnight saying that they're going to be laying off about 18% of their staff. So all the constituents within this ETF are under immense pressure. The overlying crypto market is under immense pressure. Uh, I think selling it now is probably not a great idea because given the capital loss that you would be incurring as opposed or crystallising, but it's going to be a very, 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 very hard road back. Okay. Very All right. road back. Um, Henry, I suppose if you've got sort of ta tax profits to offset it again, so sort of get your own advice on, on that sort of stuff. But... Uh, um, I must admit, I, I've never been a crypto fan, I must admit, call me a dinosaur or not. But when they all of these places start advertising on the back of football Guernsey, uh, I always think that's the ringing of the bell at the top of the market. Yeah. Um, what do you think this, of, of this idea? <laughs> um, well, absolutely. I mean, you, you could ring the bell the day they brought this crypto ETF out. Um, and this is the, the businesses behind digital coins and digital currencies. Uh, I mean, I call it crypto crypto. I mean, there's 19,000 digital currencies out there, cryptocurrencies, 19,000. And I saw one guy that on the telly the other day who was looked quite intelligent and was speaking quite intelligent up till the time when he said the fundamental value of Bitcoin was $25,000. Now, where he plucked that little gem out of, I have no idea. But uh, there is little fundamental value in any of these things. And it's been proved that they're a terrible inflation hedge. They're very costly to use for transactions. You can't just pop into your local pizza shop and buy, uh, buy your Super Supreme with a Bitcoin and just go poop like you can with uh, fiat currencies and the banks. It has just been an absolute Ponzi scheme pushed by celebrities. I have to say, it's been really... You know, I am a dinosaur as well, Koshi. I've got to say, I've never liked this stuff. And I've had no. you know, friends go, oh, I've made all this money on crypto. I've done really well. I think, well, great. But just remember to get out. Yes. Because uh, it, one day it will all end in tears. And, and for poor old, uh, the, uh, the the viewer with this one with crypt, it, it's been heading for the crypt. I yep. think that is the uh, the answer. If, if you had a tax um, problem, Selling this one could be a great way to solve it. Um, whether crypto bounces from here remains to be seen, but certainly we are seeing problems across, and I'm going to use the word industry in bunny ears, uh, in terms of some of the platforms Coinbase, Andrew mentioned. We've also had Celsius, which were uh, which stopped redemptions, which stopped people taking money out after promising people 17% return on lending them the crypto. Now, the only way they could do that, they said, was by getting new people involved in the platform, which would then pay the old people the 17%. Bernie Madoff would have been proud of yes. that one. That's the that, definition that, of that, a Ponzi scheme. That's a Ponzi scheme, guys. <laughs> you know, it made Bernie Madoff look like a conservative long-term investor, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy stuff. Yep, you, know, know. Seven, you know, and they say in financial world, you know, if something looks too good to be true, it usually is. If somebody's paying you 17% interest on your crypto holdings, yep. Yep. well, I hope you're around to get the 17% because that's All right. mad. Let Let's go to the other extreme for, for Ron, something uh, uh, a bit more conservative, maybe you know, a, a good inflation hedge in the environment ahead. 
Uh, Ron wants a view on Endeavour Group, Henry. Uh, looking for a longer-term hold on this one, uh, Ron is. Of course, Endeavour Group is all the pubs and bottle shops, Dan Murphy's BWS uh, of Woolworths that uh, was spun out just last year. Uh, yeah, I, I, get, I mean, this has gone from, uh, you know, we've gone from crypto to something that is far more uh, yes. sensible. And of course, you know, it's, it's a lot more inflation proof. It's maybe not energy proof because there's a lot of costs involved in getting uh, this stuff to your um, your doorstep. A lot of cost in refrigeration. All those fridges at the back uh, that have uh, that chilled Chardonnay in uh, cost money to turn on. So it's not a lay down misere by any stretch of the imagination. But you'd have to say, in these turbulent times, the first thing you head for is the bottle shop, let's face it, um, and, or, and or the pub. The, the question, I guess, is if we do see a recession, how that does affect the hotel's business side of things, uh, and also how it affects, I guess, the, uh, the Dan Murphys of this world, because there may be a slowdown in discretionary spending, maybe not quite so much craft beer being sold and more VB and, uh, and uh, 4X, for those in Queensland like Andrew, I'm sure, is a devotee. So um, for me, it's a hold. It certainly has all the attractions of a defensive stock. But, you know, there are costs involved in this business, energy costs. And also, if we do see the economy slow, that will have an impact on their hotels. So it's not a screaming buy. You can look at when you look at the chart, you can see that it hasn't been affected anywhere near mm. to the extent that even, uh, you know, the likes of West Farmers, which was considered a, a blue chip solid uh, you know, defensive business has been absolutely slaughtered in comparison. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's down from 53 bucks to 42 bucks, whereas Endeavour, although it's not been around for a long time, has really not fallen that far. So for me, it's a hold, uh, yeah. but there are risks out there. It's not a lay down Mazer by any stretch of the imagination. Andrew? Gin and tonic, man, uh, Henry. Gin and tonic. So when we do <laughs> finally have that lunch in Sydney, uh, don't bring out the forex. It'll be a, a GNT. Um, so basically, I like this one a lot. In fact, um, high on the shopping list at the moment because of its defensive characteristics. The bunnings of liquor, one might say. Um, so it's it's expensive. You're paying 23 times earnings, but you've got a 15% return on shareholders' funds. You've got um, earnings growth coming through. Uh, if there's uncertainty relating to other parts of consumption in the economy, JB Hi-Fi, uh, I can pretty much guarantee you that people will continue to be putting their money through the, the pokies and they'll continue with the alcohol consumption. So I'm very uh, relaxed in buying this one at the moment. And, you know, when there's lots of noise going on, this is definitely one you want to own. OK, you're saying it's the Bunnings of liquor. So would West Farmers be a buy for you as well, uh, as Henry was saying, after it being smashed? Not trying to be a skite here, Koshy, but 1997, I started as a U-share salesman. And uh, one of the first shares that I bought was the Franked Income Fund at around $3. And of course, those are students of the, of the market would know that Franked Income Fund uh, got turned into West Farmers shares. So... I sort of, uh, you know, $50 for West Farmers was probably a little bit too pricey for me, or 56 I think Henry said. Uh, from my point of view, I love West Farmers a lot, but I think probably high 30s is probably the right. buy mark for those. Yep. All right. So. Let's just uh, recap our first five stocks. Um, our, our short ETFs, uh, BAR, ETF, uh, BB Oz and SNAZ. Uh, Andrew doesn't like them uh, because they're more financial engineering. 
Henry does light them as a safety net and uh, and some insurance uh, against a falling market. Uh, JB Hi-Fi, a hold from both uh, Suncorp, um, a no from both Fisher and Paykel Healthcare, a no from Henry, a hold from Andrew, the crypto ETF innovators, uh, a no, a definite no from both, and uh, Endeavour, a hold from Henry and a buy from Andrew. Uh, we've been tracking the calls uh, High Conviction Fantasy Fund uh, as picked by the Investment Committee. Uh, you can see the latest episode of the investment meeting live at osbiz.com. Let's check the portfolio update. Recently, Tabcorp, Domino's, Ardent Ledger and Tyro were added. And uh, so far, the fund since the 1st of March down about eight and a half percent if you uh, but keep sending in your request for the call because that's a first filter to get to the investment committee at cmc we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed our mentality hasn't we aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools plus our pricing is completely transparent that's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time so if you're serious about trading switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years trade cfds your way at cmcmarkets.com you don't own underlying assets consider relevant pds and tmd or information memorandum for cmc pro accounts at our website uh, this half hour, we take a look at Brickworks, Global Lithium, BWX, Change Financial and Dexas. Um, Andrew Darrell wants a view on Brickworks. He's saying um, they have big exposure to Washington Solpats, uh, a JV with Goodman Group for industrial property development. They've got an increasing land portfolio of old quarries and exposure to US building. It looks cheap, but is it? There is a rising interest rate environment but there's still a shortage of houses in Australia. What do you think of Brickworks? Yeah, lots of moving parts on, on this one, Koshi. And in fact, uh, last fortnight when uh, Henry and I together, uh, and of course we had Andrew hosting at the time, uh, the other Andrew, um, then uh, we actually covered sole pats. So it's interesting right. that we're now two weeks later doing the other end of the barbell being Brickworks because of course there's um, cross ownership between the two. I think from memory, Brickworks owns about 26% of Soul Pats. And of course, the cross ownership is controlled by the Milner family. I got some feedback from the call uh, last time and I'm happy to say it again. The thicker the carpet, the thinner the dividend is the Milner family's catch cry. So in other words, they're fiscally responsible, one might say. So certainly having the Milner family there uh, gives me a great deal of comfort. Uh, but you know they've had the rounds of the kitchen as well, no pun intended, relating to their share price performance in part because Sol Pats which recently merged with Milton, has got this great share portfolio. But as we've just been talking about, in fact, the whole time, that the share market is under a fair bit of pressure at the moment. So that's impacting upon their earnings. On the property side, they're going along pretty well. That joint venture they've got with Goodman, which delivered that Amazon distribution centre, which has been pretty good for them, 20 years, I think, from memory. Um, look, I don't mind this one, but because it's so complex and in particular that Australian share portfolio, which we keep saying is under pressure, I'd probably say it's a hold, but equally so, I definitely wouldn't be selling it and you definitely wouldn't bet against the Milner family at all. Okay. Uh, Henry? Um, yeah, I think when we talked about Sol Pats, one of the problems that I have is, is it's just complicated, isn't it? Um, the cross-shareholding thing, 43% uh, of Brickworks is owned by Sol's and 28% of Sol's is owned by Brickworks. 
and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all's got a bit and the Milner family at the centre of all this. And, you know, the, the, who gets to who gets to even walk on the carpet, let alone how measure how measure how thick the carpet is. Um, I guess the problem for me with Brickworks is it's geared to the property cycle and we are seeing a slowdown in property in Australia. We're seeing a slowdown and we're going to see a slowdown in developments as well. Uh, given the interest rates are rising. So there's going to be some uh, slowdown. And I can't get excited about Brickworks when, when there's slowdown happening and it's complicated. It has fallen a long, long way. And there's brokers that have got much higher prices on it. They've got, they're talking about the quarries. Uh, they're talking about the land bank they have and the, and the property sales they could have going forward. But to me, you know, if, if, if you fancy the market and if you feel that there's no recession on the horizon and the RBA is bluffing, about uh, putting rates up to two and a half percent ultimately, uh, then uh, go ahead. If not, uh, this for me is an avoid. There's probably better ways for my money to play a, uh, a bounce in the property sector. So okay. uh, I would just avoid it, no matter how good the carpet is and how threadbare it looks. Okay. All right. Um, Henry, uh, Matthew wants a view on global lithium. Uh, Henry's saying, should I be taking profits or continuing to hold? Um, um, Exploration Development Group owns the Marble Bar Lithium Project um, and also has a deal with Minres as well, don't they? Uh, they do. Minres owns around 5% of this one. I guess, you know, I, I'm a lithium bull. I'll make no bones about that. But I like lithium stocks that have got uh, something unique about them, something that is uh, either they're a producer or they're near to producing or they've got some project that has strategic value. Now that they've got this marble bar project and they've got uh, the Manor Lithium project as well. So they've got two good projects in Western Australia, but they are projects, they're drilling. You know, this is gonna be driven by the drill bit and sentiment and sentiment is somewhat against uh, lithium at the moment since the Goldman Sachs uh, moment where we saw them talk about uh, their view on lithium pricing, which I don't agree with, I must admit. I think there's, you know, there's probably more downside to come in this one. It had a big run this year from 30 cents up to $2.70 in the whole lithium boom. This is still a, a, a dream. This is a twinkle in a geologist's eye to some extent. Okay, the, the drilling results have been very promising, but it's going to take a long while before they mm. get into production. Uh, they build the mine, get into production. They've got a lot of steps to go through. And at the moment, sentiment is well and truly against this one. If you've got some profits in this one, I think I'd be taking them uh, and sitting back and seeing how things fall uh, in the next few months because uh, these stocks do need confidence and sentiment to be heading in the right direction to, uh, to really fire up. Otherwise, they can drift lower. Okay. Andrew? Look, I, I have nothing to add that the lithium prognosticator has already put forth. So I... <laughs> <laughs> All right, a no from both. All right, um, Andrew, have you got something to add on BWX? Uh, is it a buy at the moment? Tony is asking this. Of course, it's in skin and hair care products, uh, which Andrew and I probably don't need the hair care products, more um, a Henry area. Um, brands include Sukan, Andalau, Mineral Fusion and Nourished Life. They're the developer, manufacturer, distributor and market all of these skincare products. Real roller coaster this one, Koshi. Yep. Um, if you yep. look at the price action on this one, it's been anywhere, uh, not currently, but previously sort of a dollar fifty and then up to five bucks. And, you know, as we can see on the chart, it's uh, just been uh, 
all over the show. In fact, it got as high as $7.50 there at one stage. Uh, look, they came out with some downgrades, unsurprisingly talking about supply chain, talking about uh, recent acquisitions not working, talking about their digital strategy not working. Um, like on face value, I looked at this and I went, yuck. Uh, it's a technical finance term. However, I did also note that Regal, uh, so Phil King and friends, owns 10% of this. I thought, hmm. Uh, new CEO, obviously that's a bit of an amber light. You know, they could be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, but they, you know, the people who follow it, the analysts who follow it, have a forecast EPS, EPS growth of 33%, and yet it's trading on but 13, earning, 13 times earnings. So it's a bit of a, a mixed bag, this one, Koshi. I can think of lots of reasons not to be there. Phil King, to me, is a very strong reason to be there. So to me, it's a, it's a hold, um, but watching this one closely, because it has form that when it gets going, it will, but there's plenty of headwinds we've been talking about before, the economy, supply chain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Henry? Uh, I'm afraid not for me, uh, Koshi or Andrew. Um, strategic review, new CEO, uh, headwinds in the supply chain, et cetera. The US business is taking longer to roll out, when doesn't it, let's face it, than they had previously thought. Plenty of competition out there in the skincare range. Can't see too many reasons to, you know, if, if the world turns and, uh, you know, we don't get a recession, then, you know, are we going to be out there buying skincare to celebrate? I, well, I won't be, um, clearly. But um, no, not for me. I think, um, you know, there's better ways and better things to do. And you've got to ask yourself the three questions. Is it cheap? Is it cheap enough? And is it cheap enough to be worth the hassle? And it doesn't satisfy any of those for me. Okay. Uh, what about change financial Henry, Hannah wants a view. Financials tanked last week, according to Hannah. It's a little fintech business, um, uh, basically in card payment software and services. Yeah, I've got to say, I saw this one a long, long time ago when pre-IPO, when it was a mere, um, mere sort of pipe dream for the founder. And it was pretty impressive. They were trying to revolutionise uh, the way US payment systems works, especially with uh, with the ch with checks, because amazingly in the US, they still use yeah. checks. Um, it has had, what I would say, a checkered history ever since, and it has sort of morphed into a, uh, a more of a payment system uh, for credit cards and those sorts of things. There, there must be so many of these payment system people around in the market. You know, you've got EML payments and you've got, um, there's so many of them around. It must be pretty competitive out there can't see this one being on my buy list i must admit it has been sort of drifting lower and lower and lower um i can't see too many catalysts for that changing you know they talk about um you know Novati is another one um that um is probably about twice the size of this yeah. one and again payment system processing payments etc there's so many of them out there galileo and marketa uh are another one i just no, mm. just really and doesn't look, do it. For me. Looks pretty illiquid too, by the look of that chart. It's illiquid, um, you know. All it's got nothing that would attract me to it. I wouldn't wake up one morning and go, I know, I want to buy Change Financial. This is the one. This is the yeah. going to make me rich. It's not. It's a competitive market out there. They've got some big boys in the business. Uh, you know, EML's quite a big boy. They're five hundred million dollar market cap. Uh, they're very professional uh, to some extent. So no, not for me. Andrew. When I first just looked at the chart, I just went, I'm out. 
I can't yeah. do this. And to your <laughs> point, actually, you know, $9,000 a day traded. Like that's, that. in fact, three years I've been doing this, I can't actually think of a company that's had less turnover than this. Right. So there's a couple of immediate, mm, but then I looked a little bit more, they've got an exclusive arrangement with MasterCard. They're actually cash flow positive, which for a number of these companies in itself is a bit of an, an amazing achievement. Uh, and the chair, Ben Harrison, I've had some dealings with Ben in another um, world, and he's a pretty switched on guy. So to me, I'm I'm, I'm conflicted, Koshi. I'm conflicted. Mm. I, I, I'm probably more in the Henry camp in that uh, that $9,000 a day is probably, the, in, is not, in fact, not probably is the deal breaker for me. I just couldn't get set in it. Yeah. But underlying stuff looks interesting uh you have to say there's going to be a lot of consolidation in this industry but yeah i think that lack of turnover is probably the big um, one for me okay um and greg um andrew wants a view on dexas greg says cbds seem to be getting busier again is this a catalyst commercial property uh, office for uh, for instance needs for recovery and is now the right time to buy yeah, it's an interesting question, um, Greg, because if we have a look at it, on one hand, everything you're saying is correct. Uh, even the Toowoomba CBD, that thriving uh, hot spot of activity, uh, it's certainly getting busier as well, never mind Sydney or Melbourne or some of these other far-flung outposts as opposed to the centre of the universe here. However, when you then also look at it, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Um, equally so... When you look at the environment that we're in and all these REITs, all these infrastructure companies are coming under immense pressure because their valuations are not a function of occupancy and so forth, it's a function of the cash flows and the discounted cash flows and therefore rising interest rates and bond yields are very unfriendly for REITs. And I think about something like VAP, which is sort of the uh, Vanguard ETF that owns the top 20-odd REITs across the country. It's currently down 10 12% and in a hurry because those bond yields have been ripping higher and the expectation that the Reserve Bank is going to really sort of uh, put the foot down when it comes to rate rises. So I agree with the thematic. I think the thematic makes sense. The thing that concerns me is the valuation piece, and I'm not talking just about DEXs. I'm talking across all REITs. And those of us with long enough memories back to the GFC, remember the absolute smashing, and I don't use that term very often, the absolute smashing that that REIT sector copped. It was 70, 80% on average. So I, I, I like DEXs, but I would just be very cautious whilst we try and get a read as to what's going on with interest rates. Okay, so, so you'd avoid the sector altogether? Okay. I mean, as well, as part of a model portfolio and putting my five-year hat on and markets do what markets do, I'm relaxed in owning VAP. But in the context of trying to go, well, do I buy Stockland over Dexas over, you know, whoever, yeah. I would just be incredibly cautious if I had a shorter-term tactical view okay. because that okay. next three to six months seeing where the Reserve Bank's going to take us. So, yeah, you're, you're a hold if you're in it, though. Okay. Uh, gee, a bustling Toowoomba must be good for the Empire Theatre as well. Koshi, we, we we're going off like a frog in a sock up the road at the moment. It is Excellent. going off. Perfect. Um, Henry, what do you think of Dexas? Well, my friend Andrew has summed it up beautifully as normal. Uh, and, of course, Toowoomba is the centre of the universe. 
and uh, rightly so, and I'm sure the Empire Theatre is doing very well. I see the pictures on Facebook, so it must be. Um, Dexas, though, I've got to say, you know, REITs is a pretty tough game when interest rates are rising, and we do know where the RBA is going to go. Phil Lowe has told us exactly where he's going to go. He's going to go to 2.5%. The question is not where he's going to go, it's how quickly he's going to get there and whether we get speeding fines along the way and, it, and the REITs suffer. Uh, a lot of damage has been done in this one in the last few days. A lot of damage has been done in the sector. Some of the darlings have fallen off the off the cliff. This one has definitely done a swan dive. Um, at these kind of levels, it's starting to look, dare I say, a smidge interesting, only because, oh. you know, the, 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 we're, we're pricing in a lot of damage. You know, it's not like we've suddenly woken up and Phil Lowe's gone, oh, you know what, we've got an inflation problem. It's going to be 2.5%. We've kind of known about it for a long time. It's just taken him a while to admit it to the rest of us. So um, maybe there is a price, but it's not yet. I think you just have to be a little bit patient. I think it goes down to the that clean out that we talked about at the beginning of the program, the kitchen sink moment. And although there was a bit of a, a throwing away yesterday of some of the draining board and the, and the taps and some of the pots and pans around the kitchen sink, I don't think we saw the kitchen sink yesterday in these REITs. Uh, we may yet uh, see more downside but certainly it's starting to look more interesting. But, you know, it's a tough environment for, uh, yeah. for geared investments in any respect when you see rates go up. Uh, and these guys, you know, they're geared. They just bought um, the AMP's uh, domestic infrastructure platform. Uh, that gives them a bit of growth and the market kind of like that. But, um, yeah, it has fallen off a cliff and I suspect it'll stay in the doldrums until we see more so are you a hold or sentiment. not interested? I, I'm, I'm probably a hold at this right. level. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't go the nibble, but I would. If you've got it, I'd probably hold it. And as Andrew's, you know, most people that buy REITs tend to buy them for the longer term, and yeah. they buy them for the distributions and uh, that side of things rather than you know you don't trade REITs. Yeah. You don't buy Dexas as a as a short term trade unless you get falls like we've seen. So it tends to be a long-term thing that people like to yeah. see that. Are you nibbling uh, anything at the moment? Or are you just um, completely out of the market? I'm not completely out of the market. I, I, I sold a few things yesterday. But it's that time of year, and some of the dogs I looked at didn't see much recovery. Um, I'm not really nibbling in any kind of major way, I must admit. It's, you know, it's still hard... I think, you know, we wrote in the newsletter the other day that if you had the choice, you know, you'd go away for six months and play golf and get your handicap down and, and reassess at the end of that because there are so many uncertainties. I, li yeah. I like to be going hard when there's, there's a straight in front of me as opposed to when you're heading into a chicane and there's lots of wiggles and you've got, you know, Fed meetings and RBA meetings and then yeah. we've got earnings from the US in July. So it, it just makes it hard why make it hard for yourself you know you it's, it's good to take the easy the quick singles the easy ones rather than trying to get sixes every time and at the moment yeah. you know the bowler's got his eye and it's Shane Warne you're playing against and uh, I'd rather not yeah absolutely all right um gents uh thank you for that um just looking tonight at the Empire Theatre um has Greek <laughs> Greek Greek mythology for millennials that's because well, we, we we had an really? eclectic I mean, we've got Ross Noble, we've got Amy Shark, we've got the Melbourne yes. International Festival, uh, of course, Youth Impact Theatre Friday. Yep. Um, St you know, Ursula's uh, College doing Mamma Mia for the next two nights. And oh, of here course, we go gosh, again. 
question, but if I, if I can indulge for five seconds, it's our 25th anniversary of reopening from 1997. Oh, so right. that's coming very soon. Of course, you're, all, you're both welcome. Uh, Koshi, if you'd like to come MC, I'm sure we could Thanks fit you in somewhere. So, I'll be there. Uh, Henry, you can MC too. We could, we could have everybody there. It'd be great. We could, we could take the call <laughs> on the road one day oh, to the oh, Empire Theatre in Toowoomba. Yes. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. With, a, be. with a live audience. Our people can talk yeah. to your people. Oh, that is... All right. We'll get it's Libby onto that. And sometime... Would you be in it, Henry? I'll be there like a shot, Koshy. It'd be okay. wonderful. It'd be great fun. That could be a really good... A good Friday one today. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. There. There's an Good idea. All right. That could, could be a bit of fun. All right, Jed, thank you for that. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Koshy. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Henry Jennings there from Marcus today. Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory. Uh, let's go through the uh, the final five stocks. Brickworks, uh, a no from Henry, a hold from uh, Andrew. Global Lithium, a no from both. BWX, a hold from Andrew, no from uh, Henry. Change Financial, a no from both. And Dexas is a hold from both. Uh, if you have any stocks you'd like me to put to our expert panel, flick them in an email to me, the call at osbiz.com today, or tweet us using the at TV handle. You can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, that's it. See you same time tomorrow for another edition of The Call, Midday Eastern. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.